Great to be home in Victoria. I was born here. I was born in the Royal Jubilee Hospital just a few short years ago. (laughs) And um, my dad has 10 siblings, and most of them are still here on the island. So I'm staying actually with one of them this week, and it just feels so good to come home. I don't get to come home often enough. So my dad transferred off the island when I was little, but we always, we were raised with the feeling like, we, of course, we were in Vancouver. You're not from here, right? That Victoria's home. So every long weekend, we rushed for the ferry and every Easter break and every spring break and every summer. Christmas, it was not Christmas morning if we were not eating fries and gravy on the ferry <laughs> and uh, playing with just a few toys that we got to open before we made our dash for the ferry. And that was before the days that you could re- reserve. So um, that was every Christmas morning. And I remember one Christmas morning uh, not coming, and it just felt weird because we didn't do that Christmas tradition. And so it really is home for me. And I'm just thankful for the invitation to be with this group. feels like home. It's It's just comfortable, you know? There's no smoke. There's no mirrors. There's no light show. And I like that. just feels real comfortable here. Thank you. Thank you. And so, in light of that, I might sound a little pastoral. I try not to get in my husband's way, and I'll try not to get in your pastor's way. (laughs) But I would encourage each of you, as you grow as a group, to celebrate your differences, to celebrate yourself as a diverse team. You don't all look like each other, and that's wonderful. We can't all be as handsome as Brother Hemsworth, you know? We can't all have his car. Now, I know we would all like to have his car, (laughs) but we can't. And you can't have, we can't all have the same giftings and the same abilities. Do you know why we can't? It's because God did not make it so. And if he didn't make it that way, then it's not supposed to be that way. It's perfect to be diverse. Celebrate that and encourage each other in their, in each other's diversities. We're not meant to make each other feel insecure in the things that we each don't have, but celebrate that you're a team and together you're a whole together. You're a body, right? Right. My brain doesn't actually do my nose's job. It helps my nose do the nose's job, but my nose is special. I never thought of it that way till I just said it, but <laughs> so don't worry about the skills you don't have. That's such a waste of energy and celebrate the fact that somebody else in here has that skill. Amen. Get it together. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to say today. Well, it might, but let's, uh, let's go to the word. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, in the New King James, says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, 
For my strength is made perfect in weakness. He's talking about my weakness. He's talking about your weakness, not his weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I found this really neat translation called the Passion Translation. And I kind of like it. And it says, but he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weaknesses. For when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. Isn't that beautiful? Second Corinthians four, verse seven says, but we may have, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's me. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. It's my favorite verse. And the passion translation says, we are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's, not ours. He's the treasure. I'm just the vessel. Boy, does that take a lot of pressure off or what? He's the treasure. I'm just the vessel. That's a good scripture for music teams. Mm-hmm. We, that's one of our favorite scriptures at LifeTab for our music team. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. So I'd like to speak to you today for a few minutes on this thought. A handful of dandelions. A handful of dandelions. How many remember thinking dandelions were flowers? As I came by this morning, by the outside of the church, this sister was out there watering all of your beautiful flowers. And this congregation cares about the outside of their church. There's so many flowers, and it looks great. It looks so beautiful. And the pots that are just outside the doors here, beautiful. And then I came in here, and I saw this wonderful rustic uh, uh, arrangement here. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if that was full of dandelions this morning? But you're not going to do that. You would probably never do that because some, at some point you realize dandelions are not flowers, right? They're not. But when we were younger, how many remember picking handfuls and handfuls of dandelions, right? And your kids, your kids are picking handfuls of dandelions and bringing, bringing them to you. Mom, I picked these for you. And mom goes, oh. Your heart is full. Your heart is full. And you take those and you run some water and you put them in a vase and you hope they last a while. And you put them maybe on your kitchen windowsill or on the table. And look what, look what Adina picked for me, babe. They're pretty. They're bright yellow. I don't know why we don't think they're flowers. We get our lawnmowers out and we mow them down before the neighbors can see them. And... And they grow, they just volunteer. 
I mean, if we thought they were flowers, that would be such a blessing because they do. They, roses do not volunteer. Yeah. Dandelions, they volunteer. And they bless us when our kids pick the dandelions for us. They fill our hearts with love. The humble dandelion. My daughter loved picking dandelions for me. We'd go walk Ben to school when she was little, and she'd run along picking Sometimes she'd pick the rhododendrons. That was okay. You know, they kind of volunteer themselves too in our neighborhood. And that was okay. Sometimes she'd pick a tulip and I'd say, no, 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 no. Somebody cultivated those. You can't pick those. And she'd come and her hands would be all sticky, you know, that sticky stuff. And she'd smell all sour from those dandelions. And we'd get home and have to wash that off and give those flowers a place of honor. Mainly underappreciated by everyone but mother and child, right? A handful of dandelions. I wonder how many of us come to God sometimes feeling like a handful of dandelions. Felt you didn't have much to offer. Just a handful of sticky, sour-smelling weeds. I know most days I do. I feel small. I feel inadequate. Inadequate on many levels. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable enough. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not enough. And so many times I get into the presence of a great big God. Do you ever have a service where the presence of God just is tangible? Kind of like it was here today. It's just tangible. And you just think, God, I don't know. I just... I'm just, I'm just a handful of weeds, Lord. I don't, I'm not there. I'm not there yet. Just humbled in the presence of the Lord. Sometimes we perceive ourselves emotionally inadequate. And I got to thinking about this point as I prepared. You know, this is a thought that God gave me, just a brief snippet God gave me. Uh, back in April, really, and I thought it was just for me. And then I realized that it was probably for somebody in this house. Um, and so as I, as I tried to develop this for you, I thought about how often I come into the presence of the Lord, even now. I'm in my mid, well, I'm a little older. And, <laughs> and, my cousin, my cousin who is younger than me, just became a grandmother. That is weird. It is weird, surreal for me. But I have to admit that when sometimes I step into my parents' house, so I don't live there anymore, and I walk in, and there is a part of me, I don't know about any of you, but there's a part of me that feels like I'm eight years old again. Does that ever happen? You walk in, you head to the kitchen, you start rummaging around because you can't find your kitchen scissors. So you go to borrow mom's kitchen scissors and she's saying, if you're looking for my kitchen scissors, you can't have them, you know, or she heard me. She's upstairs in the sewing room and she can, she knows what I'm doing. She read my mind or you're snacking on whatever they've put out in the bowls on the island or, you know, you're just at home and all of a sudden you feel like your eight year old self again. That's kind of how it feels when we come into daddy's house, into your great big God's house. All of a sudden, there's something in our hearts that takes us all the way back. 
I don't know what it is. It's not because God is mean. It's because God is big. It's because God is all sufficient. It's because God knows our hearts. And maybe sometimes there's things that God wants to say, hey, I want to take you back. I want to take you back and heal that for you. I want to take you back and work through that a little because I think now you're ready. Right? I want to take you back and examine that now because I think we can pull that up and use that. Ever have that happen? So let's go. It actually started back here, Deanna. You were eight or you were 10 or you were 14. So let's look at that now because now you've got some tools. I've equipped you now. So let's go back. And sometimes I think that's why we feel emotionally inadequate in his presence because God is taking us back through some things sometimes. It is not because he's mean. It's because he's big and we feel small. You ever got whale watching? Anyone here? Yeah. And you've seen whales. How small do you feel? Right? Especially when they get up close. I remember going fishing with my dad one time. He likes to fish just outside of Souk. And it was super still. It was really early in the morning because a real fisherman, you know, some, for some reason, there's no fish in the ocean if it's after 6 a.m. So we we're out there and it was just like glass. And I could see all these triangles out there and I realized they were the dorsal fins of a pod of whale. And all of a sudden, one just silently under the boat. And really, I felt like a poly pocket, you know, just super super small. I've never felt so physically small in my life. God is like that. He makes us feel small, vulnerable and feel vulnerable in the presence of God. You know, vulnerability has become a real trendy term. Ever heard of Brené Brown? She's kind of the new guru on vulnerability. And, um, so it's become trendy to learn how to become vulnerable or say you're vulnerable. And, and, um, so even outside of, even outside of the church, outside of, of religious circles, I don't think Pentecostals actually are very good at being religious, <laughs> but I'm going to school right now. I'm going to a Christian university and they're talking about, they're saying all these religious words. They know I'm a minister's wife. So they throw these religious words around like, uh, well, and I don't understand them. You know, they're talking about, oh, you're evangelical. And I have to say, I don't know what that means. Or they talk about the sacrament or advent or these words. And I, I'm like, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't mean, mean to sound ignorant, but I don't know what those mean. I guess I'm not a very good religious person. I'm more of a relationship person. I finally decided that as apostolics are relationship people. If you ever get stumped on that, just play that card. You're a relationship person, not a good religious person. But vulnerability has become very popular. And I think that sometimes when we come into the presence of God, we do feel that. It's because we have finite minds. And there's the, our Bible, my Bible's now on my iPad. Our Bible can be stored on a on a microchip. It's not very big. God is infinite, infinite. And so of course we're going to feel that every now and then because he is just that big and that's okay. That is okay. 
God's just saying, I've got everything you need. You're in daddy's house. Everything you need is here. Just give it all to me. He's saying, it's in that weakness. It's in that realization that you don't have it all. That I need you to stay. Because my strength is perfect. And my strength is magnified. When you finally realize that you are weak. That you have weaknesses. That you don't have all the answers. That you are inadequate. That is okay. Something the Lord showed me just in my, just in my devotion. It's in the word. He'll show you too was when Moses came to the burning bush and God started to talk to him. And he kind of started to reveal to Moses what Moses was going to do, you know, for the children of Israel and for the nation. And Moses said, God, it was an identity question. He said, God, who am I? Usually when you ask a question, you expect an answer, right? And God responded to Moses immediately, but he didn't answer. He said, Moses, I will be with you. And Moses said, who am I? And God said, I will be with you. It wasn't really an answer, God, could you? No, he didn't get an answer. He got a response. And so... A lot of times, I think God does that for us, like he did for Moses. He leaves those questions unanswered so that we continue to rely on him. I think that was the key to Moses' success in that whole mission, was that one question never got answered. Moses, do you really need to know who you are? No, Moses, I think you need to know who I am, God said. That's enough. I'm going to leave you feeling inadequate, Moses. Just know I will be with you, and I am. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's your strength in my weakness. Sometimes in our walk with God, we feel intellectually inadequate. God, I don't know enough. I don't know enough to speak up. I don't know enough to teach them a Bible study. I don't know enough to stand here. I don't know enough. And yet, I'm walk, I walked through that door today. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And I, brethren, when I came to you, this is Paul, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm so glad we sang about the cross today. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with, with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
What do you have to know to come to God? What do you have to know to serve God? What do you have to know to give God thanks? What do you have to know to give him praise? What did you have to know today to come in this place and sing? I didn't even know some of these songs. I just raised my hands, give him some praise. What do you have to know? How much wisdom do you need to talk to God? None. None. Paul said he wasn't excellent. In fact, he said he was weak. He said he was fearful. He said he was shaking in his boots. That's what he said. He wasn't persuasive and he wasn't wise. He just had this, the backing of the Spirit of God. That's a lot of backing. That's enough. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. And that's all I need. That's all you need. That's all you need to open your mouth and work. That's all you need to open your mouth to your unsaved loved ones. That's all you need to live it in front of them. My mother, my mother, uh, grew up going to church with a friend of hers here in Victoria. Her parents said, now, Joanne, you know, we don't believe any of this, but we're not going to stop you. It's your choice. They were a little bit ahead of their time. Really. I think for their day, they, they said, if you want to go, that's up to you, but we're never going to drive you there. Don't ask us for a ride. It's up to you. It's your responsibility. So she got herself to and from church every week. Faithful. And then, um, she kind of got away from it. I think somehow in her later, like 18, 19 girls kind of, that's a tough time. I think for girls, especially 18 to 20, she got away from it. She met my dad, got married and, um, then she had children. And, uh, as I think often happens, she realized she really wanted her children to know she wanted her children to hear the, hear the stories from the Bible and at least go to Sunday school and get to know the word of God. And so it was right about the time when they were moving over to Vancouver. And I remember her starting to take us to churches and she would take us to a church and she'd, you know, sit in the adult class or whatever in the church service and take us down to the kids. And then she'd gather us up. And on the way home, she'd say, well, how was it? What did they teach you? And we'd say things like, oh, we just played. It was really fun. We did puzzles and we did, you know, and she'd say, well, did they teach you a story? No, no story. We read some books, but okay. So we didn't go back to that one. And week after week, we would do this and we wouldn't go back or we'd maybe go back one more time and not go back. And then one Saturday, um, Don Guggenheimer and Elvira knocked on our door and invited us to come. And the pamphlet said, come help us welcome our new pastor from Jamaica, Paul Reynolds. And so I remember watching from around the, the, the hallway corner, watching my mom and dad talk and my dad saying, they're too young to go on the Sunday school bus. Joanne, if you want them to go, you will have to take them. And I'm sure my mom thought, well, I've had a similar conversation like this with my own parents when I was a teenager. If you want to go, you have to take yourself. So she did. She took us. And we ended up going to a oneness apostolic church in New Westminster. 
And after Sunday school, she said, well, how was it? What did they tell you? And we said, oh, we loved it. They told us a story and, you know, I'm sure we gave her all the details about the Sunday school lesson and we sang and the teachers gave us a snack and da, da, da. And we went back and over and over and the rest is history. We never left. And, um, after attending Sunday school for three years, my mother counted the cost for three years. Of course, when she married my dad, she wasn't serving the Lord. And, um, she made the decision to commit and get baptized and make some changes in her lifestyle. And um, my dad was not happy at all. He was not at all supportive. And it was like that for the next... Hmm, let's see. 31 plus 3, 34. For 30 years. It was like that for the next 30 years. But... My point to that story is that my mother lived it at home. She lived it quietly. She lived it lovingly. She lived it balanced at home. She didn't need words of wisdom. She didn't need a whole lot of her own bravado. She didn't need a lot of aggression. She didn't need a lot of chat, 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 nag, 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 nag. She just needed the spirit of God. And little by little, which is scriptural, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Don't you love the word? It makes so much sense. The change came in my dad. Little by little, as mom lived her testimony, quietly, graciously, I think the way that the Bible shows us. Not with human wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and by the power of God. And, um, just sort of calculating, sorry. And in 2007, my dad got baptized in Jesus name. He comes to our church faithfully. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. You don't need anything but the Spirit of God. Live it. If you don't feel like you have the right words to say, live it. Live it in your workplace. Live it in your home. Live it everywhere you go. Amen. You can do it. It doesn't take anything more than a handful of dandelions. That's what we are. That's all God needs. That is all he needs. He doesn't need anything fancy. God does not need a rock star. If that's what he needed, he's got plenty. He could be using them, but he's using you and me. This is what he needs. He needs a heart willing. Amen. Amen. The enemy loves it when we become overwhelmed by our own intellectual inadequacies. My husband calls it paralysis of analysis. You ever get that where you're just overthinking everything? I get that way. I'm so terrible at that. I totally do it all the time. We think about how much we don't know, and it just stops us in our tracks. How about David? I think about David out there just watching his father's sheep with a slingshot in his, in his waistband maybe. Just doing what boys do. You know, they can't be still for long. And just throwing rocks. 
They just love to chuck things, target practice. They love to shoot things. My husband took my son and his friend yesterday to the gun club. That's why my truck is, don't look at my truck out there. It's filthy. It's got lime all over it. And um, just shoot things. That's what David was doing while he was watching those sheep. And then comes the opportunity to go check on his brothers. And someone's mocking his brothers. And if David had stopped and overthought what was he was about to do, I think that he would have not gone ahead with what he, was, what he did go ahead with, right? He didn't overthink. He just said, well, I'll fight you. And, and at that point, I get this, this picture in my head of like a nervous boxing coach, you know, rubbing the shoulders of the underdog in one corner, you know, shouting at him and trying to put stuff on him that doesn't even fit. And he's got these, this grubby boxing, you know, robe on. And in the other corner, we have the champion and the shiny gold and purple and, you know, doing his thing. And here's David with just a slingshot. And went and did what anybody could do. He went and just picked up rocks. Anyone can bend over and pick up rocks. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. It just blows my mind what he did. That's all he did. He didn't do anything fancy. He didn't do anything out of the ordinary. Something he always did. Something he always had. Something he always used. Nothing special. And he didn't stop and overthink the implications of what he was about to do. He just went on ahead with it. Just went on with his bad self. That's all he did. And God put it all together. You have no idea what God is putting all together. When you do what you always do as unto the Lord. Don't stop too long and think about it. God does not need your wisdom. He doesn't need it. Stop it. Just go on. Just get together. Do what you do. Give it to the Lord. Do it with all your heart. Don't overthink it. And I think as churches, sometimes we do that. We're just like, it's not fancy enough. How can we make this better? What can we do? And then it starts to feel really um, orchestrated. Do you know what I mean? And it just, it feels like we're wearing someone else's armor. Just, just do what you do. Amen. I love it. I love what David showed us. Did David understand? Oh, God, you're blessing me right now. Did David understand that collecting rocks from a creek was going to put him on the throne of Israel and lead to the changing of the direction of a nation? Oh, David, thank you for not overthinking that one. Oh, we'd still be waiting. We'd still be waiting if he understood, if he had stopped and tried to figure that out. Just do what you do. Do it with all your heart and trust God. Trust God. You think, oh, it's not enough. It's not big enough. That's a handful of dandelions. Just give it to God. He loves it. It's a task connected to a relationship with a big God. Get in relationship with God. Sometimes, this is my last point, sometimes we feel physically inadequate. 
And this is somewhere that I, I debated with God. I said, God, I don't want to talk about being physically inadequate. Because I have been for so long. I suffer from chronic migraines. And this affects me and it affects my family, affects my church on so many levels. I'm not going to say poor me, poor me, but it just does. And I have a hard time talking about my own illness, but I'm going to try today to bless somebody, hopefully. Um, when I've been lying in a dark room for days, it sometimes turn into weeks. I think what hurts the most is the disappointment that it is to me that I'm letting my kids down. But um, for those of you who may not know what a migraine feels like, for everyone it's a bit different. But for me, um, I can't stand to smell anything. So I don't want anyone cooking anything. I don't want you making toast in my house. Don't make coffee in my house. Don't cook tacos in my house for sure. Nothing. I don't want to smell anything. Um, don't play the piano. Don't laugh. Don't whistle. And my husband loves to whistle. Don't whistle in my house. My eyes and my brain feel like they want out of my head. They feel, my eyes feel like lemons that weigh like, kind of like fish weights. Have you ever used fishing weights? So they feel like lead balls in my head and my brain just feels like it weighs a million pounds. It's like if I could just kind of jam something in my ears and let my brains out, it'll feel so much better. So that's kind of what a migraine feels like to me. And they can last 24 hours, but typically they last about three weeks. And then I might get, you know, a day or two in between, and then they start again. So that's the way they've been for me. Um, in one particularly long season of migraines, um, a couple of years ago now, a few years ago, I was asked to come to a meeting that I had no plans to attend and speak at a luncheon about uh, to uh, speak at a luncheon about being a minister's wife with chronic illness. Um, and I, I told the person that asked me, I don't remember who asked me, but I said, but God hasn't healed me yet. Why do you want me to come and talk about this? Typically, when you invite somebody to talk, it's always how, what a miraculous healing you've received. And um, they said, no, that's okay. We just want you to come and talk about being sick. <laughs> so I, I said, okay, I would. But I really agonized over it because I felt like God had not spoken anything to me. You know, when you're that sick, you don't do a lot of praying. Um, at least I don't. I just lay in my bed and go, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And that's about it. You know, not another one, not another one. So I really had to seek a message out. And all I could think about was the mental toll that it had taken on me and on my family. And I'm not really, I wasn't really the type to sit around going, why me? Um, I don't think that that's really productive. And I didn't really want to hurt anymore. So that's not really where I go with my thoughts. But, um, I was at a point where I was, I just couldn't even eat. I hadn't been able to eat for so long and my weight was so low. I was really struggling to stay in the three digits with my weight. And I didn't like to go out very much because then people have rude comments to say about how skinny you are and how scary you look and those sorts of things. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't take the feedback. And so that's really where I was at. It was sort of miserable. 
And then uh, with this call, I was afraid to commit because I felt like as soon as I did, I would get a migraine. And then I was also afraid that I would be under spiritual attack for committing, but I committed. So you're kind of feeling the misery. Am I taking you there? <laughs> don't, don't worry. Hang on. So as I searched for some kind of a message to pull out of where I was at, I came across 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. And I started to think about what happens in a fire. Some people would say that, in a, you know, when you think of it in a spiritual sense, well, a fire refines, you know, it burns off all the junk. It all floats to the top and God just burns off all the junk. Isn't that wonderful? But you know what a fire does? A fire melts stuff. And those things that melt lose all their shape. Have you ever left a box of crayons on the dashboard on a sunny day? Am I the only one? <laughs> you know, <laughs> left a box of crayola on the dashboard and you come back in and it, they're useless. They don't resemble a crayon at all. Looks like a science experiment. Just one big glob of something. And that's what fire does. You lose your identity. You're unrecognizable. Clearly, I do not weigh 100 pounds anymore. <laughs> You're unrecognizable. You're not the same on the inside. You don't think the same. You don't process things the same. I was a mess. I didn't want to be a mess. I didn't invite the migraines. I didn't invite that condition into my life. I didn't feel like I deserved it. Ooh. Hmm. That's entitled. I was melted. Hmm. Do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. That's not strange. It's not random, Deanna. So that's what happens during physical inadequacies. We don't look like our former capable selves. We don't function like ourselves. So were my migraines supposed to hinder God? Are your physical inadequacies supposed to shed a negative light on your Christianity? No. Are they supposed to shed a negative light on God? No. Are they an accident? No. Never. Never should they, are they supposed to? shed a negative light on God. We go back to our original scripture. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It sheds a perfect light on God. Perfect. Oh, perfect. 
next time you get a migraine, perfect. God, you're perfect. I'm not perfect. This is your moment to shine, Lord. And mine it out. I have another message. It's a gift. It's a gift. Maybe I'll have an opportunity to share that with you one day. It's a gift. But this is when we say, Daddy, help. And how many dads are in here that love to help their kids? Right? My dad and my husband now is, uh, his son is to the point where my da- my husband's not going to step in all the time. He's going to wait for my 16-year-old son to say, hey, dad, a little help here. Right? Those are the opportune moments for my husband to step in and help because the help is welcomed. And I think sometimes God is like that. Daddy, help. Okay. I call on his name. I call on his name. My God comes rushing in. He goes beyond my weakness in a moment, in a moment. And that is worship. That is worship. And so as I was preparing to talk to those ladies about being right in the heat of chronic illness, God showed me, do you really think, do you really think that I have got you here right now in all of this because I like to see you suffer? Because actually I have you here because I'm building into you. And in your moments of suffering, whether it's a physical ailment or it's something else, he is building into you. He's building into you resilience. He's building into you grace. He's building into you compassion and empathy and all kinds of good things to make you useful in his kingdom and to glorify his strength in your weakness. That's a handful of dandelions. He's adding to us. Love the scripture, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. That means he earned our peace for us. With his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. <laughs> we were, we're the broken ones, right? And have turned everyone to his own way. Broken. And the Lord has laid down, laid on him the iniquity of us all to fix us. Though we weren't there to witness it, he was broken so we could all be whole. He volunteered himself. We didn't bring to him our wisdom. We didn't bring to him our wholeness. We bring to him our brokenness and our weakness. Amen. Amen. We are earthen vessels. He is the treasure. And it's a privilege to worship, to bring him glory in our weakness. So bring him your handful of Danny Lyons. He doesn't need your wisdom. He doesn't need your perceived perfection. Don't wait till you think you've got it all together. He just needs you right now the way you are. That is enough. That is perfect. Let's give him glory. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God's chosen the foolish things of this world, hasn't he? The weak to put to shame the things which are not, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Let's stand. Amen. Musicians, come.
In closing, I just want to encourage you to reach your world. Don't let anything stop you. Don't be hindered by the things that you perceive are inadequacies. That's exactly what God needs. It's exactly what he needs to reach this world. God gives every man a measure of faith. A measure of faith. Don't be intimidated by anybody you come across. I would encourage you to trust that there is a measure of faith in each and every person that you come across. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he's the living word. He lives inside of us. We think of the word is just the scripture, but he's the living word. We take him with us when we're full of his spirit. When that spirit comes into contact with that seed of faith, it wakes up. It wakes up. I was talking to Darlene McLaughlin, one of our pastors' wives, Fort St. John. She said the, uh, her son just had a graduation party in their backyard, and his boss came. And he's, he's, not a, he's not a real kind, happy kind of guy. But he came to the party, and she talked to the wife the next day. She said, Darlene, we had such a good time. We want to come to your church and see, see you guys some more. My husband was just so moved by what he felt there. That measure of faith, it wakes up. And you never know who and you never know when. But God gives it to everyone. Don't be intimidated. You're not inadequate. You have got the Spirit of God backing you. Amen.